Grace, mercy, and peace to you, and love with faith from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this summer, we've heard from two prophets in Isaiah and in Jeremiah that address similar concerns with God's people in the Old Testament. And so today, we're going to add to that number. We're going to throw a third prophet onto the pile in Ezekiel. So we hear from Ezekiel this morning. And like his forebearer in Isaiah and his contemporary in Jeremiah, Ezekiel was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Everybody say Judah. All right, Ezekiel's talking to Judah smack dab in the middle of exile. See, Judah had held out longer than the northern kingdom in uh, doing God's will. Uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, had been wiped off the map, but then Judah wasn't much better, and eventually they fell into the same cycles of sin that the northern kingdom did, and eventually that would lead to the Babylonian empire coming in and destroying Jerusalem and carrying these people off into exile. So Ezekiel's word comes to them right in the middle of this situation, right in the middle of Babylonian captivity. Put yourself in their shoes, the shoes of the Judeans. It's this constant struggle to maintain your identity as one of God's people. The city of God, the temple of God are destroyed. You're treated as a second-class citizen in the captivity. You're concerned that within a generation, your heritage of faith might disappear. All you can do is do your job to the best of your ability all that you can do is to provide for your family and teach your children the faith of your fathers the best that you can. And you can only watch and pray and cling to the hope that is kept alive by God's word. And amid those conditions, don't you think these people needed a word of promise? You bet. You bet they needed some good news. They needed a sure and certain word of promise that God was going to fix this situation. But first, first, God had to deal with some folks. God had to address these people, these shepherds, who were supposed to be caring for his people during the exile. He had a word of law to bring to them. We don't have a whole lot of biblical writings on the details of all the injustices that were going on. But from what Ezekiel says, there were many religious and political leaders who were abusing, exploiting, or misleading God's people rather than properly doing the job that, gave them, that God gave them to do. The first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34 are going to talk about this. If you want to read that later, God talks about setting himself against these crooked shepherds. He talks about pronouncing judgment upon them. Judgment. And it was bad enough that God's people had to face threats from without. They had to face the threats of the foreign, nation, for, foreign nations. These are the wild beasts that God refers to in the text. Wild beasts. They've got these threats, but it was made even worse by the fact that it was facilitated by those who were supposed to be shepherding God's people. They were not supposed to feed them to the wolves. They were supposed to care for them. They were supposed to administer God's word purely. The kings, they were supposed to care for the, the, they were supposed to see to the protection of the temple worship. They were supposed to see to political order, not chaos, not syncretistic worship, the mixing of the worship with the true worship of God and the worship of idols. They were failing. 
in the Bible, the shepherds that God appoints specifically for religious oversight, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they are meant to use the law appropriately, warning God's people against sin and earnestly calling them to repent. This is what Paul commends to Timothy in our epistle lesson this morning. He says that from a pure heart, from a pure heart, teachers are to use the law lawfully. And by the same token, teachers of God's word are also to know how to apply the gospel, the promises of God as he has revealed them in Holy Scripture. In 2 Timothy, Paul, uh, Paul goes on to address Timothy again, and he says that, Timothy, you ought to know how to rightly handle the word of truth. Rightly handle the word of truth. Other translations that are probably better say this, rightly divide the word of truth. The word of truth. Rightly divide the word of truth. Divide law from gospel. Know how to use them. Apply them to your hearers. This is what a shepherd or a pastor does. He divides law and gospel for his hearers. He applies it to their lives for the sake of their faith and life in God. He feeds God's people a proper diet. A proper diet. But these shepherds in Judah were blowing it. They were blowing it big time. They were mishandling God's word. They were growing lazy in all their duties to care for God's people. They were taking advantage of them. They were living high on the hog. God was sick of it, so he planned to act. And it wasn't going to be just, it wasn't going to be this type of situation where he just replaces these bad guys with some good ones. No, he has to do something entirely different. He promises a complete makeover. Notice how many times God says the words, I will, in this text. And I've abbreviated it for the sake of the screen. I can't fit the entire text on the screen. But look what God says. He says, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. I will bring them out. I will gather them and bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel with good pasture. I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and strong I will destroy. And that's just from the first part of our Old Testament lesson. God is clear. Who's going to be doing this? He will. He says, I will, I will, I will. He had had enough of these dishonest prophets, priests, and kings, and he promised that he himself would step in. He himself would make everything right, and he would see to it that his people were restored, that they were back where they belonged, that they were eating from the good pastures. He himself would be their shepherd. He would feed them. You cannot help but listen to these promises in Ezekiel and not think of Psalm 23. It was pretty on the nose this morning in the service, the themes of the shepherd, right? I hope that you caught that if you were paying attention. These themes of being shepherded by God as our, as our shepherd. Um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know why? Because it was always, always God's plan to do this. It was always his plan to be the shepherd of his people, even in the days of King David when Psalm 23 was written. That was always the plan. And speaking of David, look at what God says at the end of Ezekiel uh, chapter 34, at the end of our reading this morning. It says, 
I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. So let's put these things together here. On one hand, God had promised that he himself would come and be their shepherd. And then on the other hand, he promises to send David, who would be their shepherd. Is God talking out of both sides of his mouth here? He himself is going to be the shepherd, but then he's going to send King David to be their shepherd. Now, King David had been dead by this point for about 300 years. The people in exile knew this. Like, they weren't late to the game. They knew that their king was dead. So what gives? What is this talking about? You see, God would rescue them. He would provide a way for them to return from exile, that they would be brought back into their homeland, and they were going to be able to rebuild the city, but it was never going to resemble the Jerusalem of old. Not quite. You can read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It was never going to be quite the same because God had a much greater restoration in mind. A greater restoration. The end goal was for God himself to come among them, to take on flesh, to step down from heaven and fix that situation and bring true and lasting eternal restoration. He was going to come as the true heir to the throne of David to lay down his life for the sheep. He himself was going to blot out all of their sins with his own blood. He was going to rise again three days later. He himself was going to ascend on high so that all who had faith in him would be brought into his heavenly kingdom, which cannot be destroyed. And that is what he has done in Jesus Christ. In Christ, everything that God said would happen has happened. It has come to pass. The lion of the tribe of what tribe? Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah king from the line of David, came to a people who were like sheep with no shepherd. He declared himself to be the good shepherd. And this wasn't just lip, lip service. He proved it. He demonstrated it by giving his life on the cross. He alone is worthy to judge between the sheep. He alone is worthy to, to judge between the fat sheep and the weak ones because he himself became the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And that means that he did that for those who were scattered in the exile, but he also did that for you and me. Up to this point, you might be thinking, well, it, this is interesting and all. I have a better handle on the history of the southern kingdom. That's all well and good. But where do I fit in? What does this mean to me? How is this relevant in my life? And I'm glad you asked. Because as it turns out, the Bible teaches us that the Babylonian exile is actually illustrative of our lives as Christians. It's, it's a picture, it's a thumbnail of our lives in this world. It's a prefiguring. Where do I get this from? St. Peter spoke this way. St. Peter says this in his epistle to the churches. These churches, they were scattered throughout the lands, scattered just like the exiles in, in a time called the diaspora. They were scattered. And here's what he said. He called them exiles. 
And do you know what he called all Christians who are a part of the one holy church? He called them exiles, sojourners. Look what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He tells us, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So though you are exiles in this world of sin and death, and though you are a traveler, you are a pilgrim, a, a pilgrim on your way to your promised land, the heavenly city of the New Jerusalem, he's saying, live faithfully. Live faithfully as a Christian during your exile so that believers uh, excuse me, so that non-believers will come to know the good shepherd. Now I told you earlier to put yourself in the shoes of those who were in exile, the Judeans. Well, in a sense, you already are. You are. Sure, our, our conditions are not nearly as bad, and sure, some, some of our problems seem like first world problems to them, but you have some of the same struggles. The world that you live in remains under the curse of sin. Even though God's kingdom is breaking in, like we sung this morning, it's still under the curse. It seems like everything in your life is designed to get you to turn away from God, to forsake Him, to wander from His flock like a lost sheep. We face threats from within the flock itself. We face crooked shepherds who get fat off the people through false teachings and through sinful dealings. It's more prevalent in the church than we'd all like to admit. You want to be a faithful Christian, but you wrestle against the sinful flesh every day. And more often than you care to admit, you lose. You want to pass on the Christian faith and Christian heritage to your children, but, as uh, to quote a good friend of mine, the halls of academia are meticulously designed to get them to hate the God you've raised them to serve. We're in exile. We might as well admit it. And like the Judeans, we need a word of promise. A word of promise that this is only temporary and that God will act. Now, he has delivered on the promise of the past. He sent Jesus. He sent the great shepherd of the sheep to deliver us from our greatest enemies, to chase us down like any good shepherd would, to bring us out of the woods, and to put us together with his flock, which he himself protects and defends and feeds. He has done this. That's exactly why you are here this morning, to be fed by your shepherd. And yes, he does it through human hands. That's why you have me here. But nonetheless, it is Jesus himself doing the feeding. It is Jesus doing the feeding. He feeds you with what you need in law and gospel as you graze upon the rich pastures of his word. He leads you beside those still waters in holy baptism and he has bathed you in them. He causes you to lie down in peace with a clean conscience every time he forgives your sins in the absolution. And as if it cannot get any better, he comes to you and he feeds you with his very own body and blood to strengthen and sustain your faith during your time of exile. He has called you by the gospel 
He has gathered you into His flock. He defends you from the the fat sheep and the wolves and the wild beasts. He does that here and now through the ministry of His church. He has fulfilled His promise of the past to come for you in the flesh, in His incarnation and in His earthly ministry, in His death and His resurrection. He fulfills His promise here and now to be your shepherd. But He will one day deliver on a future promise. As you come to his table to meet him in the sacrament today, remember that he is here to forgive you, to forgive you all of your sins, to grant you life and salvation. And here's what that salvation means. That one day you will be lifted from this veil of tears and that you will be brought together with all of his sheep into the new Jerusalem. He will finally deliver you fully from your greatest foe, which is death. And in your resurrected body, you will no longer need faith because your faith will turn into sight. Jesus himself will shepherd you face to face. You will hear your own name on the lips of your Savior, your shepherd, as he calls to you, your beloved, his beloved lamb. Jesus himself will feed you face to face. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.